so excited to be with you, all of our locations uh, coming to you, so excited that you're joining us. If you're joining us online, so great that you're here. Um, you know, we talked about loving God last week, and uh, I felt like something was missing. I mean, the whole time, I felt like we were talking about love God, love God, love God, and what does that mean? And there was just something glaringly missing, and I'll tell you what it is. In Matthew 22... There was an expert in the law who came up to Jesus and he said, "Um, teacher, tell me, what is the greatest commandment? Summarize all the commandments. Tell me, what, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if he stopped right there, I would have been like, absolutely, that's it. We got it right last week. Good to go. But then Jesus breaks the rules. Because he'd asked, the expert had asked, hey, what is the most important commandment? One, but Jesus said, and the second one is like it. Jesus said, no, there's, there's a second one, and it's, it's a second number one priority. And it was this, and love your neighbor as yourself. It was as if Jesus was saying, you cannot separate the two. You, you, you can't take love God and love people and pull them apart because you can't love God without loving what he loves. It'd be like you coming up to me and saying, hey, Dave, love you a bunch, but, you know, I don't like your kids all that much or I don't like your family. I'd be like, well, hold on a second. How do you love me well without loving the people that I love? But it's also, you know, it's like, how can I love people well? If I don't first love God most, how do I have grace to give to others, forgiveness to give to others? How do I make sure that I'm not seeking identity or self-esteem in other people or through human relationships? In other words, if I really want to love the people around me best, then I ought to love God most. And so loving God and loving people are inseparably linked. And so I'm so excited to talk about loving people with you and with my friends here today. Because here's the deal. When that, new, when that first uh, New Testament church started, there were 59 times in the New Testament that a command to love one another or bear one another's burdens or encourage one another. There were 59 times that a one another command was given. And here's the deal. I can't do that in isolation. I can't live out God's vision for us as a people in isolation. And so for us to talk about love people is an exciting thing. Now, this, uh, this I, I'll share this uh, scripture with you. Uh, now, this is a scripture that, oh, i got to introduce you guys. Okay, so I have, uh, I have, I almost forgot you, um, my good friends. Let's do this. Let, let's have you guys introduce yourself, share, everybody, share with everybody what your role is, um, and maybe uh, these guys just got to share their favorite game growing up. Why don't you share your favorite game growing up? All right? Go ahead. I'll kick us off. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet, my name is Betsy Sunny, and I have the privilege of pastoring our core adult engagement team. So we work with our campuses to help form the spiritual journey here at Willow Creek. And my favorite video game playing up, uh, hopefully this doesn't date me, was Sonic the Hedgehog on Sega Dreamcast. That was my, that was my go-to. Nice, nice. There you go. My name is Sean Williams. I have the opportunity to be the campus pastor of Willow Creek South Barrington. 
And uh, if we think about games growing up, if we go board game, it would be Risk. If we go video game, it would be Contra. Now, if you remember, there was a cheat code in Contra to get from three lives to 30 lives. Something yes. like up, up, down, down, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, 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 right. VA start yes. and uh, change your life. It was amazing. It's <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Yes. I'm with you. My name is Liz Shower. I don't know what Contra is. Betsy and I were bonding over that. Um, I lead our marketing and communications team and didn't play a ton of video games growing up, but loved the game Sorry. And I never said sorry when I knocked them off the board. <laughs> My name is Ed Ollie, and I have the privilege of serving as the Willow Creek North Shore campus pastor. And I would have to say the board game because we like conflict in our house, uh, Monopoly. And uh, if you didn't land on Park Place, it really got heated. Uh, so I'm proud of you. It's awesome. All right. Well, we thought to start off, there was a, a certain passage of Scripture that really cast the vision. It was a description of that very first church. And um, it's in Acts 2, and we're going to start in verse 44. It goes like this. All, be- all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold uh, property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the kind of church I would love to be a part of. In fact, um, that church describes... um, something that's maybe, if you're not familiar, you might miss it. And that is that if you were going to invite somebody to church in that first century, you wouldn't be inviting them to a building like this. You wouldn't be inviting them to a place where someone gets up and speaks and there's worship. You'd be saying, hey, come on over to my house for a meal. Like that was the reality is that they experienced church together in a smaller Group. So, Betsy, you're, you're kind of over this area of ministry. Define for us as we get started, what is a small group? That's great. Well, whether you've been in a group for a long time or you are thinking about jumping into one, you know, we would say that a group is an intentional like group of people. It's obvious in the term, 6 to 12 folks who are committed to meeting regularly whether it's for a term or for a year, but what you're living out, you're living out that biblical community, right? And you're practicing these discipleship rhythms that help us all grow together. And you, you said this, right? There is something about loving God that requires loving people. So you could live your life isolated, but that, I feel like that short changes your experience with God. And there's something when you invite other people into your life and you see how God is working with them, well, I think that does a lot better for us all as we're exploring God together. I love it. That's great. All right, well, how about some favorite group experiences as you look back in your life, some of the, the, the reasons that you are excited about small groups? I'd love to jump in here because I think it was in college that I experienced this for the first time. The many things that Betsy just shared, uh, that for me was transformative, getting together, being fully known, fully loved, uh, connecting with others. But I think as an adult, uh, things really have landed, uh, being in a group, uh, particularly with a few men, where we had to talk about real life, reality of, of marriage, divorce, uh, the challenges of, of community and work. I think when you get together, you start to realize that while you may be very different, Dave, there's a lot of similarities. Similar, Ed. Uh, I've been in a group for six years now, and when we started, one person was married. Now everybody's married, and go- this year there will be 11 kids 
from all of us, which is crazy. A lot of life change and a lot of hard stuff, too. We've uh, had people struggle with marital issues, drug issues. Uh, My small group walked with me when my dad was going through rehab, and there's something so powerful about seeing God work in the lives of other people that teaches me so much more about him than I would know on my own. And at the same time, there's something beautiful about other people seeing the darkness and the ugliness inside of you and speaking truth into you that you are loved and you are worthy and you are enough that just reflects God's love back. And there's so much depth to that journeying through those tough times together. Yeah. And that, I mean, that kind of depth that you talked about right at the end there, that could scare some people off a little bit, right? But that is you guys after journeying together six years have experienced, you know, that kind of close-knit community, which is really, really cool. And the other thing that I heard you guys talk about was just the support, because this world, it's a tough place to live, the earth, you know, and it's, so it's great to have some other people to be journeying with you uh, together. What about, uh, what about you guys? You know, when you were just asking about, like, your best group experience, I've been in groups really for the better part of the last couple decades, but there are a couple of groups that really jump out for me personally. Uh, One of those was when I stepped into my very first significant leadership role, I knew I was way out over my skis as a leader, stepping into uncharted waters for me. And so one of the things I did is I asked a couple of men that were all 20 to 30 years older than me if they'd be willing to meet with me weekly uh, for six months and that I could bring leadership challenges to them. They can help me navigate what I didn't even really know how to navigate at the time. And what started off as their commitment to me for six months uh, became a group that we met every week for almost seven years. And uh, these guys became, in many ways, mentors, spiritual fathers, but in other ways, just true brothers and best friends. And it was kind of an unlikely group that probably would have never come together, uh, but really became a really meaningful group for me. The other group that really sticks out for me is the only reason that group stopped meeting is because we moved to Las Vegas for a season to do some ministry in Las Vegas. And I remember it's the first time that we as a family had moved across the country, and transition was brand new for us. And any of you have ever experienced anything like that, you know, it, it can be a little bit unsettling, uh, a little bit less stable when you make a transition like that. And we got plugged into a small group probably within two to three weeks of landing in Vegas. And that group of people helped provide a stabilizing force in my own family in such an incredibly meaningful way. That's good. So with those two different experiences, you've got the benefit, you know, the second group that you talked about, the benefit of being around people that are maybe like you, right? You were in the same life stage with, you know, young families, uh, everybody looking for community, trying to navigate what it is to be young parents together and that sort of thing. Um, And so you found value in being a group, in a group with a lot of people that were in similar life stage. But then you also shared about a group experience that was beneficial to you with people that were 20, 30 years older than you, people that were different from you. And I can see value in being, sometimes there might be a season where you want to be in a group with people that are way different than you are, and then sometimes uh, a season where it would be very beneficial to have, to be journeying with people that are in the same life stage. It's awesome. Awesome. Okay, now you, <laughs> I know yours, and this is so good. Um, you, you had a kind of an unconventional start to small groups. Tell us about that. That's right, and I think it helps uh, maybe clear up a misconception around group is I think a lot of times we say, hey, I got to be fully ready, an expert, or even necessarily a believer to join a group. Well, you know, I wasn't when I joined my first group in college. And it's a funny story I always share is it's always important to know your acronyms and what they mean. Uh, because for the first week of college, when we were doing orientation, our friends were trying to go to the BSU, 
which we thought meant the Black Student Union. And we ended up at the Baptist Student Union by mistake. <laughs> and, and, you know, by mistake or not, that's, it was one of, you know, God's divine coordinations in my life because it's theirs where I jumped into a freshman Bible study. I had no interest. I wasn't sure where I was at as a, you know, spiritually. And it was the first time that I got to experience the community. I got to belong before I believed. Right. And it was, they lived off of first Thessalonians two, eight, and that it was, Hey, we're not going to only share the gospel with you, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. So this is what we ate. We lived, we, we grew. It's actually where I came to faith because I got to, uh, got exposure to the gospel and it ultimately changed my life, even though I had no intentions of heading <laughs> on that, that trajectory. And you know, that to me, that sense of community has become the gold standard. I love that. So a lot of spiritual growth that happened in that group and a lot of, a lot of spiritual growth that happens in small groups, but not necessarily a place that you've got to be a Bible expert or a theology expert before you show up, right? You don't even have to be a believer. <laughs> That's great. All right. What about some other misconceptions uh, that people might have f- about small groups and community? Yeah, I see a lot of times this unspoken pressure for a group to be perfect or to find your forever best friends. And sometimes you're going to be with these people for a season. You might not get along all the time. You might not love them, but there's always something you can learn. And so take that pressure off for the group to be perfect. That's good. I also think about, I remember like early on my very first groups, I, I, I thought it was just going to be spiritually weird, you know, that you show up and it's just all around, you know, Bible study or something, and it might just kind of be this big kumbaya type moment. And I was intimidated because it just felt, it just felt weird. But then I recognized that there's a lot of different types of groups and a lot of ways to group in different ways. And so uh, there, there can be groups around interests that people have or groups around felt need because somebody needs divorce care or grief support or something like that, maybe financial uh, assistance. And, and sometimes you can even group around uh, even your own affinity. And so there's a lot of different types of groups that certainly have a spiritual component, but I found that they're a lot more accessible than I originally thought that they might be. That's good. And if I go to, let's say, a Bible study group is my first experience, that doesn't mean I'm locked into that you know, the, the, the rest of the time. Um, I might try one of these other affinity groups or some other type of group, you know, over the course of a year or two years or five years or that sort of thing. That's good. Okay, I want to transition a little bit. Um, Jesus is saying a prayer uh, in John 17. And he is praying that he's praying for unity. He's praying this love people vision, this, this unity vision. And he does something that I think is pretty interesting. He connects unity to our witness in the world. Right? Now watch this, and, and I'll show it to you. Uh, the goal is, he's praying, and he says, the goal is for all of them, us, to become one heart and mind. That's unity. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. In other words, people will believe about the truth about Jesus because they see the unity that we have. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. And then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence, there it is again, that you've sent me and loved them and in the same way that you've loved me. Um, when I look at the New Testament, 
and those early believers that began to live out Jesus' prayer for unity, I saw amazing things happen, or I see amazing things happen. I see people that were Jews and Greeks who any other place in the world would be at odds, and yet around the communion table, right? Around Jesus, they are coming together. You see men and women. You see oppressed and oppressor coming together. You see people, um, James is speaking to, you know, socioeconomic classes and how they need to come together. This radical unity that is building bridges in ways that the world around them, the culture around them took note, right? They kind of, I mean, I think that's part of the, and it added to their number daily, those who are being saved, because the world was looking at it and going, we don't see this anywhere else. Um, where do you see or how do you see Jesus' vision for unity and this vision of loving people being an impact to the world around us? I mean, I don't want to overstate this, but I think it's everything, right? Uh, there's, there's such an incredible, important role that the church plays as it relates to unity in our world. I mean, what other organization on planet Earth do you see the young and the old coming together, the rich and the poor, the CEO and the union worker, the far right and the far left all coming together? Because it's unlike any organization because we recognize that we're all one in Christ, that the, that the ground at the foot of the cross is, is incredibly level, right? Yeah. That, it, that it really is for, for all of us and for all people. And I would go as far to say it feels like, at least within my lifetime, there's more at stake now than I think I can ever remember. Uh, I've been in I've been fortunate enough to be a pastor for just over 20 years and, and had the opportunity to be a part of leading through a lot of different crises that we've experienced as a culture. But looking back over my shoulder, what I remember is most crises we've experienced actually bring people together. Uh, what's very unique right now is the crisis that we're going through in this pandemic is actually pulling people apart. And so the fundamental role that the church can play in seasons like this is it costs us to raise our eyes to see the things that really matter. Uh, Instead of being divided over things that seem to matter in a moment, all these things that people are dividing over right now, uh, these two shall pass. But yet in in our church context, we have the opportunity to help people to raise their eyes to see things that really matter, that are of eternal significance, that we realize that there are people, if they were to die today, that they would live with a Christless eternity. And that matters more than some of the things that we divided. Or you look at uh, people who, whose dignity is not being affirmed, and that's something that we can look to, that, that Jesus causes us to raise our eyes to look to the things that eternally matter. And so we can put our differences aside to be united in Jesus, and it changes everything. Uh, Albert Tate, one of our teaching pastors, one of the things he said, yeah, yeah, give it up for that's good. One of the things Albert said one time is, uh, we don't follow the donkey, we don't follow the elephant, we follow the lamb. That's right. And I love that. We lift our eyes higher to something different. That's great. And I think both of your comments speak to the reality as we come into this MLK weekend that as a society, we find ourselves more divided than we ever have been. Uh, I mean, even on this panel, there's differences. Some are Cubs fans and others are White Sox fans. Uh, God forbid there's Packer fans in our congregation. I mean, some of us are Bears fans. Uh, but as you, as you look closer, at the inspection of the Gospels uh, show us that Jesus went to great lengths, not only to embrace difference, but to show that there's something that it is much greater at stake. 
His discipleship of Peter just shows us that the gospel, if you will, the glory of God is at stake at how we choose to love one another and see one another as the way that God has created each other. It's good. I think in essence, we can even boil that down to, we assume that unity means we all have to be alike, but unity, uniformity is not the goal, unity is. And that means and it requires for us to understand the different perspectives and the, that bring us here together for that sake of that common value and goal. That's good. Um, and, you know, fortunately what I've found is that as soon as, you know, you get baptized, it, it all, it's just so easy. Like, we, we never uh, have fights at all, and we always disagree about everything. Or agree about everything. No, I'm just kidding. Um, give us some, because it's not easy, give us some practical ways that we can work through, you know, some sort of false community and get to the real stuff where we're unified. You know, I, I would have to say two quick things. One is I think we should stay curious, and I think that we need to be a communities that are grace-filled. We're so quick in our culture uh, to not extend grace and not lean in to learn together. But I think that that's one of the things that we're learning um, as a church. And I think it's something that is a model, a reflection of the kingdom. When we stay curious, ask good questions, and extend grace. That's good. Um, I think that's been one of the benefits of having uh, the executive team that we have. Uh, you know, our executive team is made up of uh, all of our campus pastors, all of their ministry department heads, and we could not be more diverse in our background. I mean, from different areas of the country, different, um, you know, church experiences, we, from different kinds of churches and things like that, um, ethnic diversity, just all kinds of, we have vertical diversity, you know, we have uh, very short people, and then we have Dennis, who's like eight feet tall. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I think one of the things that I have really, really benefited from in being on a team like this is realizing that, you know, you know how they say there's usually three versions of the, the truth. There's my truth, there's your truth, and then there's like the actual truth in the middle. And what I've realized is that I need someone else's perspective to access that truth. I love what you're saying about be curious, um, you and I were in a conversation a couple days ago, and I remember being a little bit, we were kind of disagreeing a little bit nicely, and I remember kind of being tempted to think, okay, you're, you, you know, you're in your 20s. I'm going, I, have, I am older, therefore I have something to teach you. He didn't, by the way. He was, I didn't he say didn't that, but I was it. tempted to think that, and and, and over the course of the conversation, I was learning things from you. And I remember just commenting and thinking, you know, a better posture when we come into that, when I come into that conversation is, you're younger than me. I have something to learn from you. And then, of course, you would say, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I have so I'm much to kidding. learn from you, too. Oh, that's very good. Thank you. Okay, I'm just kidding. All right, I'm just joking. No, but I think that's, that's part of it, right? And even in our conversation, relationship is key, right? There was equity between us. Where over, you know, I've been here for nine months. We've, we've been on a journey. So that way when we come in and we can, we can have these conversations because, A, there's a posture of curiosity from both of us, kind of what Ed is saying. But then also there's like, I'm trusting your intention. I am trusting your heart. And I'm trusting that we're operating from a shared value, from shared values, yeah. right? Because I think that's, that's part of community and that's part of discourses. We oftentimes, we don't assume 
that we are operating off the same values. And then we argue over methodology. And that's the thing, we can have this, we can sh- care, like, care about the same things, but how we do it might be different. That's good, that's good. You know, you asked about some practical ways that we can do this, and I, I'm learning that it's amazing to read the scriptures, and there is a little flow that happens. One is confession and repentance. There's something that happens when I just acknowledge I'm not in the right place. I don't get it. Um, and being in a circle, instead of, instead of being in rows, I get an opportunity to really have that moment to confess, to rent, repent, and then forgive. It's something about making amends of the things that I have contributed to, maybe even have started in many cases. And I think that that's a great way that we can grow um, in relationship and groups. I totally agree, Ed. Um, Brene Brown talks about making this shift from wanting to be right to wanting to get it right. And in order to get it right, uh, sometimes you have to ask, your question, ask yourself the question, what if I'm wrong? Now, I'm an Enneagram one. I don't want to be wrong ever. It's like one of my greatest fears. Um, but like, if we want to play the long game, if we want to get it right for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of each other, we have to be willing to get it right wrong sometimes and learn from each other. And that takes humility. Uh, It can be scary at times, but ultimately it's freeing because it relieves you of the pressure of having to be right always. Yeah. And so if I have relationships at work outside the church, I've got relationships maybe with uh, other kids, other parents of kids that are playing sports with my kids or that sort of thing. Um, And I'm thinking, well, you know, I've got some friendships already. What do I really need to be a part of? I, I just want to lean in and say there is a special advantage, I believe, in the church where we have a common Lord. I mean, that's what you guys have been saying. And, and I said this to these guys, and it's, it's so oversimplified. But one of the things that I would do in premarital counseling is I would talk about the marriage relationship as sort of a triangle with God at the top and then the man and the wife at the bottom. And 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 we would talk about how if we would really focus on, with a humble heart, growing closer to God, that inevitably we would grow closer to each other. And I know that's oversimplified, and you have to talk about, well, what does it mean to get closer to God? There's all kinds of things to talk through. But, but I have found that to be so helpful in a marriage relationship, and I find that to be helpful with all of the relationships that I have as friendships, coworkers, that sort of thing, especially when we're coming from so many different backgrounds. So Jesus becomes that incredible unifier for us, which, which is great. So, I mean, really it just kind of brings that whole conversation full circle, right? That we, we live in a divided world, and we've said this before, but our divided world needs a united church. They do. And Jesus said it. It's, it's, it's actually by our ability to love one another that's how people will get to know Jesus. And so what an incredible opportunity that unity gives us to really be a witness of the greatness and the love of our great God that we serve. Love it. Okay, let's, let's shift gears one more time. Um, you guys sit on the executive team of our church, so you, you get to see kind of everything that's happening in all the different campuses and everything. What are some of the places, where are you seeing God work toward this vision? Where are the bright spots? Where are you most encouraged? I think there's a lot of encouraging things just as a staff member. I think one of the things 
Uh, I've appreciated about Dave and, and his leadership, and yes, I say that because performance reviews are coming up very soon. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I really have appreciated about your leadership, Dave, is how intentional you've been about really creating a really strong staff culture and bringing us together just as a community, even just as a staff. So, you know, things like Staff Chapel, we, we frequently meet together, we pray together, we worship together. There's, there's the togetherness is really important. Uh, there's actually something we're going to talk about in a little bit just called Rooted. It's an experience that many of our staff have been through that has been a game-changing experience as well. And it gives me a lot of excitement about what's ahead. That's good. You read that just like I wrote it, so thank you for saying that. <laughs> I'm just, just joking. I would say um, one of the ways that I'm seeing it, and maybe you as the church, you don't get an opportunity to see this, is the way that the executive team that you saw pictured a little bit ago is working together. Um, leaning in, when you bring a team of all-stars together like this, um, leaning in and learning from one another, holding things openly, learning what it means to disagree and agree together. Uh, We have um, old, young, um, so many different perspectives and backgrounds. It's just been a rich experience to see us coming together as a team. You know, as the groups person, I'm going to talk about groups. We have 4,000 people in groups across all seven of our campuses and hopefully growing, right, as we continue on. And, um, you know, but I think something else that personally I get so excited about are our values, right? And I know you've gotten a chance to hear them, but the cool thing has been the decisions that we've been making that have been enforcing that value before they were our values, right? So you saw a picture of that executive team you know, before we said, hey, we cared about growing younger and being a multicultural church, we were making decisions, we were creating spaces where that was true. So it's not only something that we say, it's a part of our identity and it's a part of our DNA. And we're excited about, as a church, moving forward towards that shared identity. That's good. Now, you, you've got an interesting perspective because you've been here longer than all of us. Yeah. What, where, where are you excited? Yeah, I've uh, been on staff at Willow for just over 10 years. I've been coming since I was 17, so have been involved in the church for a long time. And I think we had pockets of health and great teams and some pockets of unhealth and dysfunction over the years. And um, just a quick story, like five years ago, I had a, another staff member challenge me to give feedback to somebody higher up in the organization. Uh, He said, I want you to have a conversation that's candid and kind. And I said, absolutely not. I realized, like, I did not know how to do that, how to engage in difficult conversations. And so I'm starting to see this shift and this commitment towards health across our organization. I see it in our volunteer teams. I see it in our uh, small groups, in all of our communities, that really the the game is won or lost in how well we can live out redemptive uh, relationships. And I think at the same time, it's not Dave's problem to solve for all of us. It's not Sean's to fix. It takes all of us. And I'm seeing a new level of engagement and ownership all across this church. That's really encouraging to me. Yeah. And I put, yeah, yeah. And I just highlight that's not just staff. That's got to be everybody, all levels, redemptive relationships. So let me ask you as we close, because we're, we're running out of time, um, what would you say to the folks that are watching, maybe they're brand new to Willow, maybe, they, maybe they've been here a long time, what would you say to them uh, if they're considering maybe getting in a group or not? You know, I would, I would say, like, what are you waiting for? 
right? <laughs> and I think that's some, something that's so cool about the direction that we're moving in. Imagine when we, are, we like show up as a community. Imagine how our communities change because we have lived out biblical community, right? Imagine our, our marriage, we believe our marriages will change, that our, our, our families will change, our communities will change, our businesses will change. And we, we have three specific opportunities here that I think are really cool. You know, we have Welcome to Willow. So if this is your first time here and you're just trying to figure out what's Willow about, hey, we have a step for you. We have some things going on today, actually. So when I say what you're waiting for, you literally have an opportunity to jump in today. But then, you know, Rooted is coming down the pipeline, but I just want to have an opportunity to talk about it because I get so excited. It's a catalyzer for us, all of us, whether you're in this room or watching online, to understand, hey, when we talk about biblical community, what do we mean? You know, when we talk about growing together and living out the vision for community, what does that mean? And for us to operate with shared values, shared understanding, and even just moving forward to say, hey, we believe that community can change everything. And here's the thing, we're going to, you know, we've been talking about groups, whether if you're not in a group, you know, you have an opportunity to jump into a group in the next couple of weeks, you know, this is something that we don't want to say, we really do want to live out entirely. That's awesome. Thank you. Hey, would you give it up for our panel, panelists here, our leaders? Appreciate you guys. And then, Ed, I just invite you to close us in prayer, would you? Absolutely. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the model that you gave of leading a group. Thank you for choosing an apprentice in Peter because you knew that you wanted to multiply your influence. Thank you for believing in a group of people that many didn't believe in around them and they changed the world. I pray God that as people all across Chicagoland, indeed the world are watching, they're not watching a church that is growing, they're watching a movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ being lived out in circles. I pray for courage, I pray for confidence that people will make the decision to live in community together. Help us as we endeavor to love you, as we endeavor to love people, and as we endeavor to change the world. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Hey, one more time, give it up for the team here. Appreciate you guys.